Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review. Later on, I'll have Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report on to discuss Royals minor league rosters. But first on to on with me to discuss the upcoming season here on uh, the eve of the 2022 season is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing good. A couple of years ago, I wrote an um, article um, just on opening day called Baseball. And in it, I just write the word baseball about like 400 <laughs> times in varying combinations. That's basically how I'm feeling. Good luck trying to Google it, though. <laughs> that is one of my favorite um, humor articles of all time. That was a great one. Jeremy, are you as excited about baseball as Matthew is? I don't think I'm that excited, but I'm not far behind. Well, good. Well, we'll get you excited once we get uh, actual games being played. Uh, like I said, we're recording this the night before opening day, so opening day eve. Uh, I don't know if you guys let your kids, you know, open your presents the night before uh, for opening day, but uh, the Royals kind of opened a present early in that they announced that Bobby Witt Jr. has made the Major League roster. He addressed the media a little bit today. And, Matthew, I think everyone is just kind of anticipating Bobby Witt Jr. as the next anointed savior in Royals history. What What's kind of your reasonable expectation of what we should uh, what we're kind of going to see with Bobby Wood Jr. Uh, you know, we've seen what he can do in the minors, Baseball America's minor league player of the year, but what are you kind of looking from him uh, as he makes his major league debut on Thursday? I think there's going to be a fair amount of hype, obviously, maybe a more than fair amount of hype. I mean, I don't remember the last time the Royals had a player like this debut for them since uh... – Eric Hosmer, maybe. I mean, Mike Moustakas was a big deal also, but Eric Hosmer was like the first like really like big hyped one. And I remember, you know, being really excited um, to hear that he was going to start. And I was actually at Eric Hosmer's debut game. He walked twice and stole a base. It was, it was an odd, it was an odd game for him offensively uh, considering his career of hitting ground balls to second base. But I digress. Um, I think Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be good. Um, I think that he has a pretty high floor. You know, you talk about some of these prospects with not questionable hit tools, but, you know, Bobby Witt's uh, hitting prowess has more to do with his power um, than his hit tool, Um, at least, you know, from a scouting perspective. um, He's had pretty high averages in the minor leagues, so that's allayed some of the fear. But I think Bobby Witt is going to be good because he's going to be a good defender, probably. I mean, he's a natural shortstop. He's going to be playing at third base. He's he's going to be a good third baseman. Um, his arm is strong. Uh, he's a smart defender. Um, he's fast, so I suspect him to steal, you know, a decent amount of bases. Um, and yeah, I, I I think I think he'll be good, right? I 
you know, when you look at top prospects who are pretty young, they are usually not all star right off the bat. And that's okay. You know, they'll they'll get there. I think kind of what may happen is a, a bit of a, like an Alex Gordon type of thing. So in 2007, uh, Alex Gordon had 2.2 wins above replacement per fan graphs. Um, he was a below average hitter, not a terrible hitter, uh, 13% worse than Leach, but he was still a uh, 2.2 war hitter, uh, 2.2 war position player because he, he played good defense and he had pretty good base running and was okay at the plate. I think I would expect at least that from Witt. Uh As for how high he goes, you know, how good he could be, you know, the sky's limit. But I think that's probably a reasonable baseline. I think you could probably bank on him being at least a two-win player. Um, but, you know, we'll see how if if he exceeds that and by how much. You talk about being, him being young, and I guess in my mind, I think of him being really young because, you know, he was drafted as a high school player and he's only played like one full minor league season. But he's 21. He's almost 22. He'll be 22 in June, so he's not – like super young, and of course, you know he seems much more mature than your typical twenty-one-year-old baseball player. I think part of that's because he grew up, you know, with his dad as a big leaguer. But some of it's just kind of the natural way he carries himself. He seems to say the right things, do the right things. Um, so yeah, I think he'll kind of make, you know, I think he'll make a pretty good adjustment to the big leagues. That being said, you know, there he is young, and you know he, the jump to the majors is um, a pretty big jump. I mean, you're talking about guys that are, you know, kind of, you know fringy quad a guys and triple a trying to get by with with junk compared to you know the facing the shohei otani's of the world the you know the some of the top pitchers in the world uh and that's a big adjustment and how can he you know lay off that breaking ball off the corner can he deal with 98 mile per hour heat uh up in the zone uh jeremy what, what are you kind of looking for from bobby witt jr as he makes his debut and and what do you think is going to be like a reasonable expectation from it from him as, as far as his rookie season I, I'm not dealing in reasonable anymore. <laughs> I'm tired of reasonable. <laughs> I want to get excited. Um, I mean, we've got the video of his first home run of spring training. He looks like Mike Trout at the plate. And I've been kind of, if not the conductor, then then pretty close to the conductor of the, you know, even Mike Trout wasn't Mike Trout when he first came up uh, train. But you know what? I've been sitting here. It's, it's time for the Royals to have a top prospect come to the big leagues and just be good right away. I feel like they haven't had one of those since I became a fan, uh, since I started watching back in 98. And it, it's about time. And uh, things are going well for juniors right now. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, these guys, are, they're, they're kids of former big league uh, all-stars and I see no reason why Bobby Witt Jr. cannot be the same thing. I expect him, fully expect him to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, would not surprise me if he went to the all-star game. Uh, maybe he even gets a couple MVP votes. Uh, you know, I don't expect him to win the MVP. I will I will stop my hype train short of that. But uh, maybe a couple votes. Uh, lower Lower level votes. I'm I'm excited to see him play. I want to see some some success. I want to be excited. Let's let's go. Jeremy's on the hype train. I love it. Uh, you know, I I think he'll get off to a good start. I think Sean wrote this too in, the, in our roundtable article this week. Uh, you know, I think what's going to happen. He's going to have a really good April. Get off to a good start. His natural talents will kind of 
you know, get him off to a good start. Then, you know, I think pitchers will make an adjustment. They'll see they'll, – there'll be a book on him kind of, you know, how they can get him out. And I think that'll be really interesting to see, okay, how does he deal with adversity? Does he make the necessary adjustments? And then we'll kind of see what he's made of a little bit. And I expect him – you know, I expect him to make those adjustments. I think he'll he'll uh, he'll have a nice middle of the summer as the, you know, weather warms up. I think he could, he'll, he'll warm up as well. And, uh, you know, I don't know about MVP votes. I don't know about all-star games yet. But, but I do think he's a heavy favorite for rookie of the year. And this will be a – Really strong rookie class too. I think you know you talk about Julio Rodriguez in Seattle, Spencer Torkelson, possibly Riley Green as well in Detroit. Uh, a couple other guys who could who could make debuts this year. But uh, I really do expect Bobby Wood Jr. to be the rookie of the year and to put together at least a very solid season. Uh, I think Matthew, like what you're saying, kind of like a th- around a three win season. I think would be really solid with the speed and de- defense. Uh, but yeah. I mean, Jeremy, you're right. I mean, I think you captured it. Let's get excited. If you can't get excited about this kid, uh, you know, what are you, what are you even watching baseball for? You know, I do think it will be interesting to see where he hits in the lineup. Uh, we know he'll be playing third base. But if, like, spring training is any indication, I think Mike, Mike Matheny kind of tipped his hand as what starting lineup is going to look like. And I guess by the time this podcast comes out, maybe you'll, you'll know the starting lineup. But what we're kind of expecting is Whit Merrifield in right field leading off, Bobby Witt Jr. slotting in that number two spot hitting second, Salvi hitting third with his 48 home runs from last year. Andrew Benintendi in left field hitting fourth, which is an interesting spot for him since he's not a you know stereotypical cleanup hitter. Carlos Santana hit batting fifth at first base. Hunter Dozier probably DHing most of the time at batting sixth. Then Adalberto Montesi hitting seventh at short. Michael Taylor in center field hitting eighth. And Nicky Lopez batting ninth at second base. And Jeremy, you wrote a little bit about starting lineups a week ago. Uh, what? How do you feel about Bobby Wood hitting second and what kind of uh, how do you, how does that if that is the starting lineup on opening day how does that strike you? Um, that's not a uh, it's not an awful lineup. I, the Royals have sent out worse opening day lineups certainly. Um, the the big thing obviously is Bobby Witt Jr. batting second. I originally predicted he would bat seventh. Uh, I I get it. I the argument certainly makes sense. I actually wrote a game thread uh, preview. Uh, later that day where he was batting second, I was like, well, that makes sense, too, if you want to do things that way. I put it, Batting in seventh can remove some of the pressure because it's not very high in the lineup. But batting second in front of Salvador Perez, well, he's going to get some pitches to hit because you don't want to walk him in front of Salvi. Um, uh, as far as the rest of the lineup goes, uh, I think that, uh, that Benintendi bats fourth because there isn't another spot to put him. He... he Hits for a good average, so you don't want to bat him too low in the lineup. But obviously, Merrifield's got that that leadoff spot locked down. If uh, Bobby Witt isn't batting second, then Nicky Lopez has certainly shown uh, that he's earned batting second. And if he's, if you're not going to bat Nicky Lopez fourth. That that would be insane because if you talk about Andrew Benintendi not having power. Nicky Lopez, he doesn't even have doubles power. Um, you know, he walks, he, he bunts, he runs well, he does a lot of good things, but he doesn't, the one thing that no one will accuse Nicky Lopez of doing is having a lot of power. Um, and then I'm actually excited about Hunter Dozier being the designated hitter. I think that's, that's a good spot for him. Uh, he's been moved around the field a lot as they try and find a defensive position for him that works. And, and we've seen, you know, he's had success at the plate in the past in 2019. So this gives him really a chance to just focus on his hitting instead of playing all over the place and not playing any, you know, fielding position particularly well. Just just go out there and hit. Don't worry about your bad defense and and let's move on. Uh, so the, the lineup 
I, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. I think if they get some good pitching, if the pitching really comes together the way that we've been hoping it'll do for the last couple of years, you know, this is kind of what we keep saying. If the pitching comes together, they can compete. And this, I, the lineup doesn't, doesn't make me angry. So I, there's at least that. <laughs> no, that's a really good point about Dozier. I hadn't thought about that yet. Just having him focus on DH, you know, hopefully that helps him out a little bit. You know, Matthew, you know, it does strike me that this is a very kind of unorthodox, like not your stereotypical 1980s type lineup where like, you know, usually you put your power hitter hitting clean up. Benintendi would probably be hitting higher in the lineup. Uh, you know, what, what, what's kind of your thoughts on the lineup, uh, uh, particularly having Bobby at second, having Nicky Lopez ninth after the kind of season he had? I don't know. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's necessarily saying that Nicky Lopez is the ninth best hitter in the lineup. I think it's maybe more, you know, having a second leadoff hitter. What, what do you what do you think about this lineup? I think, well, I think to Jeremy's point, I think the Royals have fielded much worse lineups. Um, and, you know, this lineup isn't, isn't great um, and has a lot to prove. You know, I'd be more excited if Melendez and Prado were in there as, in a, as instead of, say, Dozier and uh, Santana. But, you know, who knows? That that might be the case soon. Um, I think that that really the, the key thing for me is to have your top on base guy leading off. And that is Nicky Lopez. Now I know that Whit Merrifield probably has the veterans, you know, the, he, he and Matheny probably have some sort of gentleman's agreement that he's the veteran. He gets the lead of spot, you know, that's his spot. You know? um, but I think I'm not, I'm not really that picky in any lineup outside of the first four spots. And the reason why I say that is because the first four spots you can really control um, more than the rest of them. Spots five through nine are obviously going to have decreasing amounts of plate appearances, right? So if you play, uh, you know, if you play a season, the guy who is bats fifth every time is going to have more times at the plate than the guy who bats ninth. But really it's spots one through four that really matter. And the reason why is because there are three outs. And if you get three outs right at, off the top, the fourth um, the fourth spot is actually the second most likely spot in a lineup to lead off, which makes sense, right? Like I said, if you have, you know, one, two, three inning, which happens all the time at, at the top of baseball game, who leads off? It's the fourth spot. Um, and really, so number one, the, the first spot and the fourth spot are really the guys that you want to have the uh, best on base percentage. And the second guy, the second spot is basically the only guy or the only spot where you can guarantee that he will come up every inning in the first inning and he might have somebody um, on base along with the third spot so the second and third spots are ideally where you want to have your best hitters and i think it's sort of telling that wit is hitting second because they that might just be a concession that he might be their best hitter and that's that's true i mean we wit might be the royals best player which is which is interesting and that speaks more to the talent of wit really um than it does to the rest of the team because he could be really really good um yeah all of that's to say i wish nikki was leading off and, and hitting second is fine. I think Perez should be hitting third and Benintendi hitting fourth is, is also perfectly fine because he had the second highest on base percentage out of any regular last year. Um, so yeah, the wild card in this is, do you guys, without looking at fan graphs, 
Um, do you happen to know who the guy with the second highest on base percentage was minimum 80 plate appearances last year? Second highest for the Royals for the Royals. Um, the fact you say 80, 80 plate appearances makes you think it's like Edward Olivares or something like that. Uh, it's Kyle Isbell. So oh, okay. uh, that's going to be my guess. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> So, you know, somebody like Benintendi or Isabel or a higher on-base guy hitting fourth, for the reasons I outlined, it's not crazy. Max, you're right, it's not a traditional lineup, but, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, some of these things have changed for a reason, which is, like, tradition isn't always the most efficient way to run a lineup. So, you know, ultimately, it's okay. Hitting at the top is not my favorite, and I would rather have Lopez at the bottom. Uh, or, sorry, I would rather have Lopez at the top, but, you know, there is some volatility there. Lopez is just a season away from coming off back-to-back, like 50-something WRC-plus season. So, you know, I, I, I can kind of see him being not at the top where Wellwit is. Yeah, I, I, I really like the lineup, actually, to be honest. I, I think it, it says a lot about uh, kind of how this – organization has progressed a lot of uh, you know i think I, I agree with you i'd like to see lopez higher i don't know about leadoff you know maybe um you know Whit merrifield maybe hitting fourth or fifth uh that might be maybe a better role for him, for him at this point with lopez leading off i'd be i'd be you know i'd be uh, willing to do that but i don't think this is a bad lineup at all i think this is actually you know a pretty good lineup for what they have i'm not going to say this is one of the better lineups in the american league um they still have hunter dozier they still have carlos santana who i'm not that high on going into this year but <clears throat> Excuse me, but you know, it, like you said, once they get Prado and Melendez in here, and and the big X factor is Adalberto Montes if he's healthy and he hits reasonably well, um, that could be a pretty interesting lineup. I don't know about good yet, but but that's a, an intriguing lineup that has some potential. And like you say, if the pitching steps up a little bit, maybe they make some noise. So I, I like kind of the I, you know I think I, I think I like the lineup for more for what it says about the Royals uh, than what it actually is at this point. Uh, but look, it's got Bobby Wood Jr. in it, and that's that's going to make it exciting right there. And, and speaking of, uh, just real quick, uh, what it says about the Royals lineup is Adalberto Mondesi batting seventh says so much because it wasn't that long ago where Adalberto Mondesi was leading off or batting second because, holy crap, the potential. He could, he could, and now he's got the potential still, but they say, okay, but the volatility means we, we're not going to bat you at the top because we got other guys that we can count on up there now. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I did want to kind of turn to the pitching just because uh, Matheny also kind of laid out his rotation to start the year. He's going to go with a five-man rotation. We're going to get Zach Greinke starting on opening day, followed by Brad Keller and then Chris Bubich, uh, and then Carlos Hernandez, uh, who I think was kind of still competing for a rotation spot. He'll be the number four starter to, to begin the year. But the fifth spot in the rotation is still up for grabs, at least uh, as of Wednesday evening. Uh, and it sounds like it's down between Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer. Jeremy, how do you see that battle going? And then, and what do you think of the coming down to those two guys? I think some people thought, I certainly thought Singer had a, a spot locked up. Some people thought Daniel Lynch had a spot locked up. Instead, it sounds like they're both competing. What does that kind of say about where the Royals' rotation is? Yeah, that's I, that's really interesting to me because I thought Bubich was going to be the odd man out. Uh, he's the one who's got the experience in the bullpen out of the three of those guys. Uh, Singer has always started and the Royals have looked at him as this guy, even when he was only throwing two pitches, as this guy who was he was going to do his thing. And the fact that he is fighting for his life, even if he does get that fifth spot, uh, says a lot about, I think, the Royals changing priorities. Uh, I think 
that what we're uh, when you look at what they're doing at the lineup and what when you look at what they're doing with rotation i think they're changing you, you're seeing them change priorities from developing guys to let's see if we can sneak in some wins uh i think that uh brady if they were still really focused on developing i think brady singer would be in the rotation because they they're like well he, he's got to start he's we need him to be better a better starter or we're not going to get any better and so I think when they say, you know, you may not have a spot, they're saying we're going to put the best five guys out there, even if that means it's not you, Brady. Um, and and I, honestly, I couldn't tell you who I think is going to win this spot. And it's it's going to be really interesting to see uh, who gets it and, and who goes down. Um, but I think we were all we all expected Hernandez to make it. We all expected Granky. Granky was always a lock, always expected Keller to make it. Um, but Bubich is really kind of a surprise and exciting surprise for me because he's my favorite of the 2018 four. Um, and then uh, it, it, I think I, the, it's a, they're going to try and win. And whether they will win is a completely different story. But I think that's that's what we're looking at here is, is an attempt to shift from just put out the guys who have the most potential to put out the guys who are doing the best right this second. And again, Matthew, I think this says a lot about where the Royals are as an organization right now because if you think about it, Brady Singer, in some ways, there's some parallels between him and like Luke Hochaver, both first-round picks who had mixed results the first couple seasons. And the Royals, back in the day, gave Hochaver an opening day assignment, which yeah, if anyone remembers that opening day against the Tigers, it, it, it made, the Tigers are still hitting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Brady Singer, you know, back in the old days, I think, that, you know, with his pedigree and, and, and honestly, his, his, his results haven't been bad. I mean, he's been a okay major league starter the last two years. I think in the past they would have just given, they not only would have given him a rotation spot, he would have been there like their number one or number two. And now they're kind of making him earn it. And because they have a lot of options, um, what, what do you, th- what do you, how do you see this, uh, this battle for the fifth spot and what it says about the rotation? Well, it surprises, at the very least, it surprises me that uh, Brady Singer and, and Daniel Lynch are, you know, sort of fighting fighting this out. Um, because I get the feeling, this is not off of any, you know, um, hard data or scoops or anything, but it sort of seems like the Royals are, have sort of given Brady Singer sort of like, not preferential treatment, but he's kind of the poster child for those pitchers. And it seems odd to me that they would be considering, or at least, you know, publicly saying, hey, you know, he could be in the bullpen when before he was such a big part of their their rotation. Um, And it almost seems like an admission of... I, I, I don't know. It's it's just weird from a messaging standpoint based off of what they've done in the past. However, from a pure baseball standpoint, it's not bad at all. I think I wrote something, I don't know, a year or two ago. Brady, Brady Singer would be a killer closer. He really would. I mean, if he just has to use his fastball and his slider and just get out and let her rip, you know, his fastball is really fun to watch. His slider's really good. And if he doesn't really have one, one thing working, you know, he doesn't have to worry about getting – 9, 10, 11, 12 guys out if this stuff's not working. He just has to worry about getting a couple of guys out, and he can play up his velocity a little bit better. Um, so I think Brady Singer would be a really killer bullpen arm. I think he'd be really good at it. I think his attitude sort of matches up to the sort of like, I'm going to beat you type of you know bullpen um, <laughs> flamethrower. So I I think that just from a pure baseball point of view, 
Brady Singer in the bullpen would be great. But from a messages standpoint, it's just kind of odd. We did get some kind of breaking news tonight. Uh, there was the Royals announced they had restructured with Merrifield's contract. Uh, we got some more details from Ann Ro- Annie Rogers and uh, Alec Lewis. Uh, Merrifield was due to make $2.75 million this year and had a really absurdly club-friendly deal. Uh, that will go to $7 million now, so he'll get a, compensated a little bit more this year. But then next year, he was originally going to get a $6.5 million club option, which almost certainly would have been picked up. Instead, his 2023 salary goes down to $2.75 million. However, with $4 million in salary escalators that are supposedly based in uh, playing time. Uh, and then he it gets a mutual option. Of the, the course, the Dayton Moore mutual option for 2024. $18 million mutual option, which I joked with David Lesky. is like, that might as well be $50 million because like, that's not getting picked up at all. And it has a $500,000 buyout, which is the real reason why you do a mutual option is to defer some money you want to give Whit Merrifield for later. And uh, Jeremy, I don't know if you, you've had too much time to digest this, but, uh, you know, I feel like this is one of probably a couple of moves or at least two moves they're going to make. I mean, it seems like they're getting, getting some flexibility for next year in exchange for more certainty and more pay for Whit this year maybe giving him a little more money to, you know, make him happy and, 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 and defer some of that money for later. Uh, but it kind of feels like there's another move to be made here, possibly a long-term deal with, say, an Andrew Benintendi or Nicky Lopez, who are still unsigned for this year. Maybe a long-term deal for Bobby Wood Jr. I think it's probably less likely about that. Um, maybe there's a trade in the works. Maybe they're trying to get a guy like Frankie Montas and, and they're trying to get his salary, uh, you know, have some flexibility for next year. Do you have any impressions on what this Whit Merrifield restructure means, um, or is there just not enough to go on right now? I mean, the the obvious takeaway is that he's getting paid more this year and less next year, um, and, and that suggests that they felt that they had a little bit of space this year to to cover his salary, and that they might want to spend some more next year, um, which. Uh, makes sense because if Bobby Witt Jr. comes up and has a good year, uh, I think we all expect that we'll see Nicky Prado and uh, and and MJ Melendez at some point this year. Hopefully they'll be really good. Um, then you'll want to be able to spend some money next year to fill in whatever gaps you still have and, and actually start really going for to compete. Uh, so I, that's my big takeaway from it is just that the the Whit Merrifield deal has always been structured to to provide uh, value for the Royals. I believe when they first gave it to him, like all the money was in the first year, and then uh, the years after that were pretty low, um, including the two point something this year. Um, so now they're just pushing it to next year and making sure that they still have him because it was a claw option. They could have you know, just not kept him next year, but they want to keep him apparently. And they want to have some of that financial flexibility. So uh, that's, that's basically my takeaway is a lot of words to say they want to have an opportunity to spend on free agency next year. And Matthew, you know, I I don't think there was much of a chance he was getting traded, you know, at all this year. Uh, Does that pretty much slam? Does this pretty much slam the the door on any kind of trade for Whitmer for Whitmer field out of Kansas city? I would think so. Seems like he is the type of player who would stick around. And the thing with Mirafield is if they wanted to trade him, they had probably conservatively six different chances where they could have traded him. Um, the ship has sailed. <laughs> um, so 
it's in the best interest for the Royals to keep him. Now, should they have traded him years ago? Yes. Yes, uh, they definitely should have. But they didn't, and we can't go back and make them do something that they probably should have done. Um, so currently, the best move is what they're they're doing right now. Let's take a quick break, uh, and then I'll bring on Alex Duvall to talk about minor league baseball a little bit. Then we'll return with uh, Jeremy and Matthew to finish up with our uh, predictions on the season. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Well, joining me now is Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report, part of the KC Sports Network. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing wonderful. I'm watching a minor league baseball game right now, so I could not be happier. It's Tuesday night, opening night for the AAA level, so this is uh, this is what I live for. This is what we do, right? So uh, really excited to have baseball back. Baseball is back. Jacoby Jones, 460-foot bomb. Ronald Bolaños looking sharp to start the season. Omaha looking pretty good, uh, and, and that kind of leads me to my first question. The Royals you know, obviously made their – uh, assignments for minor league rosters. Uh, they began play tonight. Uh, we see, you know, Omaha looking pretty top heavy with some of the top prospects: MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, but you know, the, there's some really intriguing, I think, players in some of these other teams. What kind of stood out to you as far as uh, you know where guys got assigned for this year? Their Double A team is loaded, and I mentioned it on the Royals Farm Report podcast the other night that I think they'll win the Double A championship in the Texas League. I also think they're going to win the International League in the Triple A level. I mean, they are so good; they are so loaded at the top. Even when they start promoting guys like Vinny, Nick, and MJ to the big leagues, they've got guys that are going to fill in in the back, right? I mean, they are loaded top to bottom, um, and I really believe they're going to win the Double A, the Texas League. Excuse me, and, and I really believe they're going to have a, cho- a shot at the uh, AAA championship as well. So uh, the upper levels are loaded. The lower levels down in high A, that low A team in Columbia struggled a little bit last year. A lot of the same guys in high A. But they held a couple guys back. Uh, ben Hernandez is back in low A. Daryl Collins is back in low A. Omar Hernandez is back in low A. So the low A team's got a ton of talent and some returning talent. Uh, they got a shot to be really good down there too. So uh, Carter Jensen will be joining them. You would think the the prep arms from that draft class last year, Mazzucato, Panzini, Kuderna, will be joining them. So the Royals have done a good job of stacking talent throughout the system at, at every level, and I think we're going to see that pay dividends uh, as soon as opening day this year. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You kind of see waves when you, you know when you look through the system. Like you know, obviously you got the guys at the AAA level or the top prospects at the AA level. Like that out that outfield. 
you know, Nick Lofton, Tucker Bradley, Suley Matias, John Rave, that's a really solid outfield with some pretty polished hitters. I mean, Suley Matias obviously has the raw power, but, but uh, you know, Tucker Bradley is a guy with college experience, not Lofton, obviously playing college. Rave had a great year last year. That's a really intriguing outfield to me. And then looking at Quad Cities, it's really interesting they kind of stacked all those catchers uh, really power hitting catchers, and I know Saul Garza maybe isn't going to catch as much as as he maybe did at LSU. But Kale Emshoff, Luca Tresh, who's really interesting as a, as a prospect out of North Carolina State, uh, you know, I, I'm really interested to see how he kind of takes off as a pro. But yeah, I think you're right. It's it's kind of a deep system throughout um, Columbia. Looking at you know, you mentioned Daryl Collins, Eric Pena is going to be playing in that outfield with him. Uh, so really, some high upside talent there as well. Um, who, who's kind of who are the kind of like the under the radar guys you're kind of eyeing and and maybe you see as a as someone that could could rise pretty quickly, maybe get advance a level or maybe even two levels this summer. I, I think Daryl Collins fits that bill. He'll, he's back in low A, which surprises me. I really thought he'd move to high A uh, this spring. They got him back in low A uh, as a teenager last year. His strikeout to walk ratio was almost one, so same amount of walks as strikeouts, which you've we almost have never seen at in full season baseball, full season minor league baseball to have a teenager do that is almost unheard of, right? So great discipline, uh, great approach at the plate, which is not something we see a lot from Royals prospects, right? So um, he also had some of the best exit velocities in the year in the system last year. So he hit a ball uh, that was. We talk about exit velocity, right? It was almost as hard as the hardest balls hit by MJ Melendez and Nick Prado last year. So he's got some raw power. Um, he has some things he needs to put together. But if he puts it together, he, I think, could be a top 100 prospect by the end of the year. I think he's that good with the bat. I think it's it's really, really advanced for the age. Um, and, and I don't know that Michael Garcia is underrated or under the radar. I mean, they put him on the 40-man roster, right? But I don't think people appreciate how good he is. Uh, 35 stolen bases last year. Another kid who he was like 21, so he's not a teenager, but a strikeout-to-walk ratio of one, right in that area of one, right? Um, and really good bat-to-ball skills, some more raw pop than you'd think. He honestly reminds me a little bit of Alcides Escobar, his cousin. Um Glove first, really good at shortstop. Um, you know, I think Esky won one gold glove, and, and Garcia reminds me of that, right? Like a good, a really good shortstop might win a gold glove, but just a really solid shortstop who can really run, bat to ball first profile, not a ton of raw power. But I think, honestly, he could be a little better than his cousin. So, um, you know, like I know Esky gave Royals fans fits at times, but the starting shortstop on a back to, on a team that won back to back pennants like if if that's what you got in the system that's that is in no way a bad thing right so um i really think garcia is, is is kind of under the radar in terms of what people expect from him and then if you want to talk about pitchers uh, anthony viniciano got bumped to double a uh, lefty hit 100 miles an hour in a game in a start last year so uh, he led the royals minor league affiliates in strikeouts i really think he's a guy that could pop and, and be on people's radars uh, if he gets added to the 40-man roster this all season to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, Veneziano uh, for that natural staff. That's going to be a really interesting interesting staff in that, you know, they've got a couple guys there that maybe are a little under the radar now. Alec Marsh I mean, probably isn't that under the radar. I think he's like on a still a top 10 prospect in the organization by a lot of lists, but maybe like Nate Webb, uh, Zach, Zach Hockey, 
um, you know, a guy like Christian Cosby. Um, I think those guys have a lot of uh, Drew Parrish. Those guys have a lot of upside where if they, you know, put it all together, they could have a really solid season. You know, obviously Alec Marsh, Aza Lacey, I think, you know, they obviously, they obviously we, we know the upside they have there, but that's a really intriguing pitching staff there that I think, um, you know, could, could be could be rising pretty quickly. I, I did want to talk a little bit about um, some of the, you know, we talk about MJ Melendez and Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino a little bit. Uh, there was a piece Ann Rogers tweeted out, and she had an article about it a little bit, about how the Royals are kind of working with those guys uh, on different positions, I think in an attempt to get them maybe some playing time at the big leagues eventually. Uh, the the plan is going to be MJ Melendez will catch four days a week, but then spend a couple days at third base or even in the outfield. Nick Prada will mostly play first base, but we could see him in left field and right field for Omaha. And then Vinny Pasquantino will, will get a little time at first base, but but also will DH a lot for Omaha. Interesting that he got uh, he he'll start at Omaha after you know uh, going from A ball to to double a last year and, and really just doing, you know, excelling. Uh, what's kind of your thoughts on, on those guys kind of at least trying out different positions. You think it can stick? Will it hurt their development? And, and also we could also talk about Nick loft and also doing kind of the same thing, going from middle infield to the outfield. It is interesting to me how many guys they've moved around. They've talked about clay Dungan, who was a, a middle infielder playing the outfield. Like you mentioned with, with Vinny and Nick and MJ and Nick Lofton is now a full-time center fielder. Apparently, um, their, their willingness to move guys around because this is what we talk about every draft cycle, draft the best bats. And then if they all make it, then you can worry about where you're going to play them later. And this is kind of like that catching up to you. Like we played that philosophy. We drafted all these bats. And now it's like, crap, where do we play them all? They all play like the same four positions. How do we get them all on the same field? Nick, you got to go play center field, dude. Uh, Nick Prado, you might have to go play the corner so that Vinny can play first base so that MJ can catch. Well, now Salvi's got a DH, right? So every draft cycle we talk about draft the best player available and don't worry about what position they play on the field. We will find positions for them later. Well, it's later, and we've got to find positions for these guys, but that is a great problem to have. That means you've drafted big league-capable bats, right? These guys can all hit in the big leagues, so therefore we need to find a place for them to play on the field all together at the same time. I think it's a great problem to have. I don't think there's there's any negatives to this. Just go out there, get in the field, get comfortable, learn how to handle multiple positions, and then go be a versatile asset at the big league level the way that Hunter Dozier has. Hunter Dozier if he didn't play multiple positions, and not that he plays them all well, but if he wasn't willing to play first and third and left and right, probably doesn't get but, what, 250, 300 plate appearances this year? Because where's he going to play if, if Bobby Witt Jr. is your third baseman? So Dozier's willingness to start bouncing around is what's going to get him on the field. So I think Melendez in that vein, you can just catch and never play, or you can be willing to go to third, left field, right field, first base maybe, um, to get your bat in the lineup when it's your time. No, I think it's and it's really savvy. And the Royals, you know, obviously they've seen Whit Merrifield, you know, be very valuable as a guy that can move around the field. And, and Melendez looks, and, and Prado as well, they, they both seem like they're athletic enough to kind of make that transition. And, and honestly, with, with the shifting that goes on, as long as we have it for another year, we'll see what happens next year. But you know, it, it, it makes sense to, you know, you probably have a little more leeway and in, in moving guys around like that. So, I you know, I, I think it's worth trying. And it, 
if it doesn't work out, I mean, you can always just stick him back a catcher and and see and and try to f- uh, find a way to make that fit. I did get, want to get your thoughts a little bit on the on the Royals rotation, how it's going to play. I know it's going to be a a very fluid situation, but we did get word from uh, Mike Matheny that, uh, this week that it's going to be Zach Greinke to start, Brad Keller, uh, followed by Chris Bubich, Carlos Hernandez, and then fifth do- fifth spot is still up for grabs. By the time this podcast comes comes out, they may have decided on who's going to be their starter, but it's going to, it sounds like it's going to be between Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer. I just wanted to get kind of your thoughts on oh, what, you know, first of all, are they kind of going with the right five or six candidates here? Is, is that how you'd want to see it come out, play out? Who do you think will get the fifth spot? Who would you want to get the fifth spot? How do you like this rotation right, right now to start the year? I'm a big believer, and this is me, this is me being the high school coach, right? So, so bear with me for a second, but I'm a big believer in promoting and rewarding guys who do the things you want everyone to do. So I actually thought Angel Zerpa des- deserved a-, a-, a spot in the big league rotation, and here's why. It's not because he's the best, one of the five best pitchers at the moment. It's not because he has stuff that's better than everybody else at the moment. But what Angel Zerpa does is he attacks the zone with all of his pitches. He doesn't get rattled. Nothing seems to phase him. He does everything you want him to do. He's just not done developing yet. Where with Lynch and Singer and Kowar and Heasley, it's like they're kind of done developing. It's kind of it's kind of time to put up or shut up. And all the things that we want them to do, attack the strike zone, be aggressive, be unflappable, go be a bulldog on the mound. Angel Zerpa does that. So if you want to prove to your rotation that this is what we're looking for, put Zerpa in the rotation and show the other guys, look, if you want to earn your spot, do what he does because you're more talented. You're better than Angel Zerpa. Now do what he does, and you can earn your spot. Now that's the coach in me. I understand why they sent Zerpa back to AA. He does have some things he needs to work on, some things to iron out. But his attitude on the mound, I would have given it to him. And I would have given it to him and said, look, man, we don't care what the results are. Go eat your innings, get your work in, and set an example for the other young arms that are in the rotation um, and, and see if you can wake some guys up that way. Because right now, if it's between Singer, Lynch, Heasley, I know Heasley's back in AAA, but him and Coar, I don't know who you throw in there because I'm not sure that any of them are going to get the job done on a regular basis. Um, I don't mean to sound pessimistic about the rotation, but Daniel Lynch the other day, they were interviewing him uh, about his spot, and he kind of seemed like off-put. Like he was kind of upset about something that he knew that we don't maybe. So I don't know who they'll send the rotation to the bullpen. I think Singer, like long-term, is a better bullpen option than Lynch. But right now for the rotation, I don't know. I flip a coin, I guess, because neither of them really impressed me very much this spring. Yeah, I, I, I think we've talked about this in the past too about sending a message to the guys in your organization, like guys that are kind of doing what's needed to be done, rewarding those guys and sending a message to the rest of the team. And I do wonder too if if this competition between Singer and Lynch, they kind of set that up as like to light a fire under their ass a little bit, frankly. Like you know they've talked to Singer and and Les, you know Lynch a little bit too about developing a third pitch, you know working on the repertoire a little bit, um, and, and and I think also a little bit about pounding the zone too. Um, so I, I, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that was kind of playing into that. Uh, and, and I, I agree with you about Zerpa. I mean, he is, he looks unflappable on the mound. He just looks, looks tremendously poised for a kid, that, kid that's like, what, 21 years old, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, is, is, it really shot up through the system last year. And I know it was just one start last year and then spring training, but you know, he certainly looked like he was going to, he kind of belonged. And 
I the way they talked about him in the spring training, I thought he had a pretty good shot at least a long, at a long reliever spot. That's kind of what they were talking him up up to. So I was a little surprised they brought him down. I I think it's the right call. I think I think he should start in the minors, but um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to kind of see him up here like in May. Like if uh, you know somebody falters or there's an injury, uh, he he might be you know first in priority above a Jonathan Heasley or Daniel Lynch or someone like that. Although they seemed like they really liked Heasley as well, even though his numbers weren't very good in spring training, but they seemed to like his attitude and the way he attacks his own as well. So, I, you know, I know it's, it's nice to have these options. I mean, honestly, like, Daniel Lynch would have been the opening day starter, like, in 2006, you know? <laughs> like, they would have just thrown him to the wolves and say, okay, well, you're a first-round pick, and you've done pretty well in the minors, so go out there and do what you, you, know, do what you can do. Uh, so it's, it's kind of nice. At least, they at least have the... Um, the, the benefit of kind of being very patient with these guys. How do you think Jackson Carr will, will kind of respond to pitching out of the bullpen? I know it, it doesn't sound like that's a long-term thing. That's, that's just kind of like, we'll start you in the, in the bullpen. He, they kind of said, well, he's still a starter long-term. Is that a role that you think, is that kind of because of the nerves he showed when he was at the big league level? Is it working on his stuff a little bit? Or how do you see that playing out for him? I think it's a great opportunity to refine his stuff in shorter stints. He... He it reminds me a little bit now. The the problem with this comparison, what I don't mean to 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 get at here is is, is compare him to Brad Keller, and part of it is we never saw Brad Keller pitch in the big leagues in the rotation first, right? He was he started in the bullpen, and then they moved him to the rotation. But when we interviewed Brad Keller at Royals Farm Report, we asked him what was the biggest thing you took away from your time in the bullpen. He said it was how to attack hitters, like how to go right after them with your stuff and and be dominant be assertive early in counts right and i think jackson coar could do a lot of that in the bullpen hey you've got one inning here blow it out give it everything you've got attack hitters be ahead in counts early and and don't be afraid to make mistakes it's one inning we need you to get three outs just don't make a mess of things before you can get three outs and I, i think mentally there is some aggressiveness you can learn how to attack hitters in the bullpen that you can't learn in the rotation when you're trying to manage pitch counts, get deep into games, and, and effectively navigate your way through a lineup like two, three times. So maybe a move to the bullpen is good for his mentality. Hey, here it is. Hit it. And then at the end of the day, if I only if I can only go five innings, it's 2022. You know, in 1922, you only go five innings. Maybe they yank you, you know, stop paying you or whatever. It's 2022. You only go five innings of one-run ball. Job well done. Pat on the back. That's a quality start these days. I know they don't count it as a quality start. Five innings, no runs, one run. Good. See ya. Off to the showers. We'll get the bullpen in the game. So maybe he learns how to do that and harness some of his stuff into the strike zone a little better. But I really think that's a really good opportunity for him to to learn how to pitch a little bit in the big leagues because he's certainly got the stuff to do it. Now it's just a matter of making it all work together. Yeah, and I think Zach Greinke kind of talked a little bit about some of the things you talk about, like when he worked out of the bullpen that year after he returned to baseball, like he learned a lot, and that that, that was a big part of his development. So, yeah, I'd like to see Coar kind of work on some things out of the pen and hopefully comes back as a better pitcher. Just real quick, uh, while we end things, give us we got to get your prediction on the year. Uh, what's the Royals' record, and do you have a bold prediction on – Maybe something happens with the season. Maybe uh, what's what's your what's your big big prediction on uh, how this Royal season plays out? I think I've got I've got them seventy nine and eighty three. I'm leaning to the over on their Vegas win total, mostly because I think the kids will be here, and I think they're too good. I think there's too much talent here to not win, like close to eighty games. 
Um, so I'm going with the over, and maybe I'm a little optimistic, but I'm going with the over, and I think if I had a bold take, it would be something like uh, the Royals have a top-five bullpen in baseball. Like, their bullpen is gnarly. I mean, Stamont, Barlow, and Coleman is a three-headed monster, and they've got guys coming. I mean, Jake Brintz, upper 90s, high-octane velocity from the left side. Um, Colin Snyder, I've been the low guy on Colin Snyder. I don't, I don't really get it personally, but the Royals seem to love him. He throws really hard. He's got great stuff. If he if he hits, there's another really high octane reliever for the back end of your bullpen. We've already talked about that. One of Lynch and Singer has to go. Coar's already going to be in there. That bullpen could be really really good. And I know there's some good bullpens in Major League Baseball. And I know top five is a little aggressive, but that's I mean that's part of the bold take, right? But I really think that this bullpen could be the strength of the team all season. And, I mean, it wouldn't uh, – Gabe Spire, I've, I've been really high on for a long time. So we'll see how it actually plays out. But I think if I had a bold take, it was it would be that they'll have a top-five bullpen in baseball. And I think Dylan Coleman will be their closer here before too long. Well, we'd love to see a great bullpen again because there's been some too many years of the Brad Boxburgers and uh, the, the Blaine Boyers, and it would be nice to get back to a dominant bullpen because – we know in Kansas City how great that can be when uh, you're trying to win games to have that reliable pen you can count on to close out games. And, and I want to throw in there really quick, um, sorry to cut you off, but if this was a competitive year, like if the Royals had a shot at making the big league, or I'm sorry, making the playoffs this year, and if they get to the point at the end of the season, not only do I think their bullpen will be really good, they could go get a Will Klein, an Anthony Veneciano, a Nate Webb, they could go get more guys out of the minor leagues to come fill in a bullpen in a, in a playoff year that won't make the big leagues this year because it's not a playoff year. But let's just pretend they were in that position. They would have one of the best bullpens in the playoffs because of the guys they have left to go get. So, um, I, I, A, I think it's going to be really good anyway. But, B, hold on to your hats for the next couple of years because they are going to absolutely blow the doors off of people. It's always nice to have some power arms stashed away, especially ones that hitter opposing hitters probably haven't seen very much of. So, yeah, it's always nice to spring that uh, late in the season, and especially the postseason. Well, Alex Duvall, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, definitely read Royals Farm Report. They've got you covered. All great stuff from, from the Miners. Some, you guys have had some great interviews lately, too. So uh, definitely check out the podcast on uh, part of the KC Sports Network. Uh, and, Alex, thanks so much for your insight. Max, I really appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. And we're back uh, with Jeremy and Matthew, and uh, you know we did have our 2022 predictions thread. We're on the eve of the season, so we got our crystal balls out. We got to put ourselves on the record. Let's start with the Royals, Jeremy. As far as you know, when the season's all said and done, what do you predict the final record for the Royals will be this year? Uh, I believe in our round table, I picked 81 and 81, and I will just stick with that for now. Uh, I think that's kind of the floor for this team, what should be the floor for this team uh, if they really want to, as everyone has kind of been talking about for a couple of years, uh, that they should be aiming for 2023 as really the first year that this group can compete. Um, and if they really want to make that happen, then 81 and 81 needs to be the floor this year. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for. And like I said earlier, if the pitching is there and the lineup doesn't fall apart, then... Who knows? Maybe they can try and sneak into a, one of those new wild card spots. 
Matthew, what what needs to go right for the Royals this year, and what do you have their final record as? Uh, I also have 81 and 81, uh, which is what I uh, predicted last year, which was not really correct. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't too far off. They, you know, I wasn't like they want the the one eighty seven games or anything. Um, I don't think that it's their floor. I think that the Royals, I think the Royals have a lot more upside than people probably give them credit for. Um, between Isbell and Montezzi and Prado and Melendez. And Witt, that's five guys who did not play very much last year um, or did not play at all last year. Um, Montezzi had 136 played appearances. Kyle Isbell had 83. So they, those guys barely played last year. Um, if those guys sort of all play like substantive time, the team is going to look hugely different than it did last year. Um, and my sort of hot take about the Royals is I think their bullpen is going to be really good. Um, so... I think they are going to be a young team and they still don't have the guy that they can rely on on the pitching side, but I think they'll be frisky enough. One of the easiest ways that you can improve your team is by sort of cutting away the really bad players um, that are, that are on your team. And I think the Royals will, will do pretty well in doing that um, this year. Um, if you look at last year's numbers, um, there were so many guys with negative wins above replacement. Um, there were eight players with negative wins above replacement last year, again, per fan graphs, which is a huge amount. And some of those were Hunter Dozier with over 500 plate appearances and Carlos Santana with over 600 plate appearances. And they gave 360 Jorge Soler, who forgot how, how to hold a bat. And, um, you know, so I think if they cut down on that a little bit, that's the easy way to get up to 80 or so wins. Of course, it's harder to get to that next level, but I think they can get to 80 wins. Yeah, I think Fangraphs had some stat. It was like we had the second most, like the most or second most played appearances by under, you know, wins below replacement players in baseball. I think you're right. You could you could improve just by cutting out some of the bad players. Um, you know, Carlos Santana, if he still struggles, if he's gone by June, um, you know, maybe not giving so much play, so many plate appearances to, to guys that aren't, aren't very good. But on the other hand, it seems like when you, when you get, there's always bad players to replace. And it seems like, you know, there's always someone that kind of steps up and has a bad season. You know, you're, you're always going to have guys that are a little disappointing. So we'll see. You, you guys are actually two of the more optimistic writers on staff um, at 81 and 81. Only, only uh, our new writer, Colin Jekyll had, had more wins at 82 and 80 for his prediction. I was like the pessimist, other than Sean, who, of course, is always a low man. Uh, I had the second lowest wins at 75 and 87. And I don't think it's necessarily going to be a bad year. I think I still think this is a lot like 2000, uh, was it 12, where they didn't. They only won like 72 games, but it was a fun team with young players, Eric Hosmer and Salvador Perez, Mike Moustakas when they were all coming up, Lorenzo Cain. And it felt like a successful season, even though it wasn't one in the standing. I think this season will be like that. There's just too many holes in the lineup, not enough pitching depth right now, or at least the pitching is not mature enough yet. Um, but there is going to be enough like flashes of brilliance, enough um, young talent to get you excited that you think, okay, we, have, we only won 75 games, and I have us finishing dead last, only because the Central Division, I think, has gotten a lot better. But I think it'll be 75 wins, but we'll look back and say, well, that was a successful year. We had a lot of guys step forward. You know, so, so the, the problems were guys that aren't going to be here long term. 
and I think we're maybe a, a big move or two away from actually being a contender. And I think we'll feel pretty good about where we are at the end of this, at least I hope. Uh, let's turn to the Major League Baseball as a whole. Um, I don't know if you guys want to maybe just throw, you don't have to go over all of them. What's, what's maybe one or two, like either award or maybe surprising um, playoff team that you have, Jeremy, uh, among your predictions? Is there any, any maybe surprises you have in what you predict uh, in the baseball season this year? Um, I think the Padres are going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, they probably won't win the division with the with the Dodgers, but I think they'll they'll go in as a wild card and and put some pressure on some teams. I, I, I that's all I got right now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually picked them to win the. I was the only one that picked them to win the division. I think like. 70% of the readers picked the Dodgers. I mean, everyone's picking the Dodgers. Look, they got a super team. I think Zips has them winning 100 games, which Zips never has teams winning 100 games. Uh, they look like a super team, but I don't know. I, just, I, I kind of, some of it's just me being contrarian, but, you know, it seems like the Padres have developed a lot of good talent. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to win the division. And, you know, the Dodgers had a good team last year. They didn't win the division, right? The Giants kind of snuck up on them. So, uh, you know, maybe the Padres are the team. About the Giants. Well, yeah, and a lot of people. Did I mean I? I think everyone's just expecting a regression out of them. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. What they did for a while. They won the World Series, yeah. lose a hundred games. Won the World Series, lose a hundred games. That's right, uh, Matthew. What do you? What do you? As far as like teams making the playoffs, what uh, do you have any surprises uh, in store for us this year? Or yeah, I. So I don't know if this is really a sort of surprise necessarily but i i am uh sort of a lot higher on the twins than um most people are uh you know they made the playoffs in in 2020 they were they were 36 and 24 in 2020 um and then this year they went out and they made you know a bunch of moves you know carlos correa plays for the minnesota twins now you <laughs> i heard that which yeah. is which is just absolutely crazy um they went out and they re-signed buxton um which is something that's I didn't know if the twins would do. Um, I I don't know. I think that I think the twins could be frisky until they get into the playoffs, play the Yankees, and then get swept. So, I think I actually picked them to finally win a playoff series. Yeah, that's a bold. I can't remember there. if I put them in the wild card or winning the division, but I p- picked them to win a series. And their lineup looks stacked right now with Correa and Buxton and and uh, Jorge Polanco, still a good hitter, and they've got some good young hitters coming up. The minors, Royce Lewis, I think is is on the verge. Uh, you know, Alex Kirilov is already at the big leagues. Uh, Trevor Larnack, Austin Martin could be in the big leagues pretty soon. Uh, but they're pitching. It just, I mean, I know they've got Kente, Kente Maeda is hurt. Um, there's a rumor going around right now that they might be on the verge of getting Chris Paddock from the Padres, which that would be super interesting. But their their rotation looks like a little bit of a mess. But if they can tread water till like June or July, and make a trade, then uh, yeah, I could see them being a, a formidable force. Um, I I I think the East is stacked, but I think the Rays. I I would not count the Rays out until proven otherwise. And I have them winning the division. I don't, I don't really see it with the Yankees yet. I think I still think they don't have the arms quite yet. And I still see um, some problems with their lineup. But you know, is Josh Donaldson gonna really stand up to 162 <laughs> games? Um, you know, I know they improved defensively a little bit, but um, I think they sacrificed some offense. So. I don't know if they're all that. The Red Sox, I, same. They don't. Their roster doesn't look super complete to me. The Blue Jays, I think, going to be. Are they going to be? You know, it's going to be down to the Rays and Blue Jays to me um, in the East, and and I think the Rays come out on top. But I've, I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be really. The American League looks pretty stacked to me this year. I don't. I think it's going to be really. 
um, really competitive, um, which is part of why you know I don't I don't think the Royals are going to necessarily win a lot of games just because the American League is so good this year. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a real dogfight. Um, let's let's go to our World Series predictions. Um, Jeremy, you have. Uh, let's see, the Twins over the Cardinals, a rematch of the 1987 oh, series. World Series. Uh, that would be kind of interesting to see. Uh, so you're talking about the Twins right there. You yeah. haven't winning at all. Explain explain your World Series pick. Uh, I just I feel like the Twins have been snake-bitten for so long. They had, they, they had so many good teams when Ron Gardenhire was the manager, and they just couldn't, as you kind of joked about, they could not get past the Yankees. Um, for basically my entire baseball fandom. Uh, and and they went out, they signed Carlos Correa. They made a good trade to offload Josh Donaldson. Um, you know, I, I just, I want to see them. If the Royals aren't going to get to the playoffs, if the Royals aren't going to win some games, the Twins are kind of like the, the team that I just kind of root for because I feel like their luck is just as bad as the Royals. And so, uh, you know, obviously as a Royals fan, I'm a, a root for the underdogs. And so I want to, I want to see the twins come up with something. I feel like Minnesota sports fans are like way overdue for some good mojo. Like the Vikings have had so many heartbreaking postseason losses. Kirk Cousins. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Timberwolves have been bad forever and they're starting to finally starting to get good. I don't follow hockey enough to know, but I know the wild haven't been relevant since they came in the league. Uh, and the Twins, have caught, you know, their playoff losses are well documented. So I feel they like they're so due. many good players on those teams. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Joe Maurer, Hall of Famer, Justin Morneau, Johan Santana. It's 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 time for them to at least win a series. Uh, Matthew, you have uh, the big markets. You got the Yankees over Dodgers. Uh, explain your uh, rationale there. Uh, the Dodgers are really good. The Yankees are also good, um, and they are always aggressive. There are never sellers at the deadline, so if they're in a position to to do well, I expect them to be better to shore up some some of their you know deficiencies, which is not something that you can say for every team, right? The Yankees are always, you know, they're they're always on on call. They're always trying to trying to win, so. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. And also, it kind of feels like it's time for the Yankees. Like, they haven't won a World Series since 2009, um, which is forever in Yankee terms. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. World Series predictions are uh, kind of interesting because, you know, just about anything can happen in a series, uh, especially with the it with it now um, that you have to play a wild card and you have so many teams who are playing three-game series. You know, a lot, a lot can happen in two games for a team to win twice, you know, so that's kind of what I think. Uh, but just one, one thing, one more thing about the Twins. Uh, I, uh, the only game that I've been to uh, to see the Royals not at Kauffman Stadium um, was in Minnesota uh, in their stadium, which is really nice. I like that stadium a lot. Um, the Twins beat the Royals, and as uh, they beat the Royals, and they were all happy, and as we're going back to our car, um, this uh, nice older couple was walking by us. They saw us in our Royals gear, um, and they literally apologized to us that uh, they won. So, <laughs> Midwestern niceness right there. Sounds like I'm making it up. I'm not making it up. They apologized, and they wished for us to have a nice nice time there. So um, I, hope, I hope they do well. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I also have the I also have the Dodgers in the World Series. I have the White Sox over the Dodgers. I guess rematch for the of the 1959 World Series for your old timers out there. But 
Um, I, the White Sox have built at a great, uh, tremendous amount of talent. I think people are kind of overlooking them, strangely. Um, I mean, a lot of people are having them win the division, but um, uh, not not many people are picking them to win the pennant. I, and and I think they have a great collection of talent. We'll see what how, how Tony Larusa does with that talent. Um, uh, but you know, they I think they've got a great team, and yeah, the Dodgers. Um, look, I don't have them winning the division just really because I'm contrarian, but they're they're obviously an awesome team, and I, it's hard to, it's hard to see them not in the World Series this year. I know a lot of people picked. The, well, some people pick the Brewers. More people pick the Dodgers, but um, it's they're 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 a great team. It's going to be hard to hard to beat them. But it, you know, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how the expanded playoffs kind of how that how much of an advantage the two teams, the two top seeds with a bye the first round, how much of an advantage that is with the other four teams playing each other. The other the top two seeds get to set reset their rotation, so it uh, could be a big advantage. Maybe maybe that allows uh, more top seeds to keep to, to move on. We'll have to see. Hopefully, it'd be great if the Royals were involved in that. So, uh, we'll have to see. Let's wrap up with our Royals review reviews. Jeremy, you want to kick it off tonight? Sure. Uh, so, I have been recently watching Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, which is uh, a reboot of the old TNT series Leverage. Um, and I am, have been reminded that Leverage is probably my favorite TV show in the whole world. Um, it's about, uh, it, it's a heist movie condensed into 60 minute TV episodes. Um, you don't have to do the crew introduction cause it's the same crew every week, but, uh, you know, they go and they want to do a steal. They want to steal something. And uh, there's always a big twist in the middle. And then you always find out like they were so clever. They had it all planned from the beginning. Um, I love that stuff. I live for it. Ocean's Eleven is is one of my favorite movies. Um, so and then not only that, but they're they're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And uh, sometimes they even reference like real world events that, uh, you know, are frustrating because rich people get away with crap. Uh, for example, the the first two-part episode that led off redemption uh kind of took a shot at the the family that owns or that uh did the kind of led the way in the opioid crisis and how they were focused on uh putting their name on museums and stuff as as all these people have have had their lives ruined because of opioid addiction that was kind of caused by their sales practices uh uh, you know they were they were not suffering very much uh, as far as consequences, and so the leverage crew rolls in and robs the robs the guy blind and gives the money to the victims. Uh, so it, it's nice to kind of get that uh, that back that we don't always get in real life. Is it the same cast as the original? Ye- uh, yes, with one exception. Um, Timothy Hutton was in the original leverage, and uh, he had some. Uh, accusations and allegations come out about him uh, in between, so they uh, replaced him with uh, Noah Weil, who is uh, also terrific. Um, and and fortunately, they did not try to put Noah Weil in the exact same role because no, uh, Timothy Hutton's character was kind of the mastermind, uh, the brains behind everything, and um, that role was kind of inherited by a couple of the other characters who were kind of being groomed towards it anyways at the end of the original series. And so Noah Wilde's character is very different, but um, kind of fills the the old white guy that they need on the team. 
No, I think the, the, the heist, the genre is right up my alley. So I, I'm glad you mentioned it. And there's, I think, something kind of comforting about like the the serial where you don't have to really know the long. You know, there is a there are some arcs I think, but you don't have to really know the the long term arcs, and you can kind of just yeah. drop in and if you, get a cool heist. It, it rewards you if you do watch it, like as right. a as a serial, but you don't have to. Each individual episode is on its own, except yeah. for you know the two parters. Matthew, what do you have for us this week? Um, so there have been a lot of video games that have came out recently. Um, one of the games that I uh, picked up is for the Nintendo Switch. The, ge- the game is called Triangle Strategy, and it's ironically made by a developer named Square. And so this geometrically um, interesting uh, video game um, is a strategy game. If you ever played a Fire Emblem game, it's kind of like that. Final Fantasy Tactics um, is really what it's what it's more like. It's natural successor to the Final Fantasy Tactics kind of. Uh, grid-based strategy games. Um, it is it's quite good and uh, it's, it's it's pretty fun. It's kind of slow paced. Uh, at least the the narrative portions are slow paced, but I I don't I don't really mind that because it's just sort of setting up this kind of complex world where you got a bunch of characters in it and you got basically these three um, countries and they all have their own you know individual um, sort of. Uh, feel to them and they have their own political wants and needs and you know um there's there's just a lot of sort of uh movement so if you're a fan of the expanse or of game of thrones that's this there's some some of that kind of political intrigue to it um and the tactics are fun um and it looks it looks really good um it's a pixel based game you know pixel art uh but with the kind of you know 3d modern touches um a lot of the maps basically look like uh, like they look like miniatures, um, and it's it's just it's really cool touch on just sort of standard, um, you know, old school pixel art, just with a lot of you know dressing up, um, and and some some cool effects. So um, it's a fun game. You can get it for Nintendo Switch. Triangle Strategy, made by Square. I heard that the that some of the choices you make in that game can have impacts on things that happen later. Have you experienced that? Does that work well? Yeah, so the, what's interesting about this is that um, you don't make decisions. Um, you're, um, you have basically seven people who are your um, sort of trusted inner circle, and they're the ones who vote and make the decisions. So you have to convince these uh, other characters what you want to do, and you may not be successful about it. So what's interesting about it is you just have to know these characters, get to know these characters, um, and make decisions um, based off of trying to convince them to, to do it. You can, you don't make the decisions. This isn't like a Mass Effect type of thing where it's just like you choose. Like you have to convince your party to choose, which is interesting. You sort of got to pay attention to their um, personalities um, and you got to learn about the world. What's kind of interesting, Quirk, to that is um, as in between um, like battles – you can there are some areas where you can sort of wander around and talk to people and as you talk to people you learn stuff and then later on you could use what you learned as unlocked dialogue um, for these conversations where you're trying to trying to convince your teammates to to make a decision or not um, and in like standard video game fashion this would be like the quote-unquote best way of doing of doing it right so like you would have to find the correct option 
and then if you didn't find the correct option or do the thing, you wouldn't be able to 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 do it. But it's not the case here. Um, in you know, it's just all about the character's wants and needs and personality. So you could unlock, you know, a thing to say, but that might not be the correct thing. So you still have to pay attention to what the characters want. So that's that's a cool wrinkle. Um, I haven't gotten super far into it because I'm playing it and uh, Horizon Forbidden West at the same time. Um, and then I've had uh, 10 hours of rehearsal over the last three days. So I've stopped play, playing video games this week. So, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun, fun time. Well, my Royals review review this week is, uh, I don't know. I know not all of you are college basketball fans or even uh, KU basketball fans. Some of you may actually hate KU, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, Jesse Newell at the star. Um, he provided some really great summary capsules to prepare me for each game. Uh, I'm not, I'm a casual college basketball fan. I don't, I'm not super intensely watching every single game, but um, it was nice to kind of catch up to speed on what's been going on this year. He does a great job of like blending stats with narratives and, 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 uh, you know, giving you a really good uh, peek of what's going on with the team, and uh, I don't think for those of you may remember he's written about baseball every once in a while too. He had a really good article five or six years ago about Eric Hosmer and his defense. Um, so he's obviously a very gifted writer, and I think uh, I just want to give him a shout out and say he does a great job, and I appreciate his work. And uh, definitely check out his stuff, even if you're not a KU fan. If you just want to follow college basketball, or if you just like good writing, um, definitely follow Jesse Newell at the Star. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks again to Alex Duvall at Royals Farm Report. Definitely read his stuff over there. And thank you all for listening. Hey!